Be delighted this holiday season at Ice and Lights, the winter village at Cameron Run. Just minutes from Old Town Alexandria. Stroll through the park and enjoy winter photo ops, light displays, hot chocolate, and a warm treat. The winter village offers playtime for the entire family. Extend the magic of the holidays by visiting early, starting November 17th. Get your tickets now at CameronIceandLights.com. That's CameronIceandLights.com. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why they love Viator. They have over 300,000 bookable experiences and something for everyone. Plus, their travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Take note. Let's join Bishop Kevin J. Foreman. Stand with me. Let's make our faith confession together. I will warn you, there is a bit of runover from the previous experience, and so uh, fires are likely to get started during this experience. It's a fire hazard in the house today. Lift your Bibles out. Let's make our confession together. This is my Bible. It is the living word of God. My mind is renewed and my spirit is prepared to receive the word which produces faith and faith pleases God. I'm not just a hearer of the word. I'm a doer of the word. This word has given me life. Shout it out. I am. Hallelujah. Remain standing if you would. Flip to Judges chapter 6. We're going to look at one passage of scripture. I I really enjoy uh, messages like today because they are going to awake something on the inside of you. Uh, They're going to awake, as I called it, the sanctified thug on the inside of you. Not the thug, but the sanctified one. And some of you say, well, Bishop, I I don't have that. Yes, you do. Somebody mess with your kids, it comes right out. If you're married, somebody mess with your spouse, it'll come right out. Oh, let me get everybody. Somebody mess with your money. Oh, that sanctified thug come right out. We're talking about a man named Gideon. Say Gideon. We welcome all of our campuses. Judges chapter 6, look at verse number 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, not Oprah, which belonged to Joash, the Abizarite. Who, while his son Gideon, say Gideon, threshed wheat in the wine press in order to hide it from the Midianites. Now, to give you some context, uh, the children of Israel in Judges chapter 6 had rebelled against God. They were doing their own thing, doing it their own way. And God raises up the Midianites as an enemy to them. And the scripture says that everything that the children of Israel did, the Midianites ruined it. Uh, every time there was a harvest, the Midianites would take it. Every time uh, that there was supposed to be something good, the Midianites ruined it. Uh, this would be tantamount to you feeling like every time something good happens to you, the worst thing happens to you and it undoes all of the good that just happened to you. Anybody ever been there in life where you're saying, God, it seems like every time I make a little bit of progress, that's where they're at. And verse 12, then the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Now, evidently, God's getting ready to have a conversation with him that's going to require Gideon to realize he's going to have to do some fighting. 
Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Right then, Gideon was having a moment of holy frustration because he's trying to say, God, if you're for me, why does it feel like everything in my life suggests you are against me? Okay, I ain't got no real folk in this experience, but I think there's at least two or three of y'all that say, God, if you're really for me, why does it look like all hell is coming against me and you're helping them? Anybody ever felt like that? Okay, good. Then I preached to all however many hands this was up. Rest of y'all pray for us. <laughs> verse 14 then the lord turned to him and said go in this might of yours this frustration of yours because see you won't change anything that you're not frustrated with go in this frustration or this might of yours get in and you shall save israel from the hand of the midianites have i not sent you so he said to him oh my lord how can i save israel watch his identity crisis I, indeed my clan is the weakest in manasseh and i am the least at my father's house and the Lord said to him, surely I will be with you and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Then he said to him, if I now have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. Do not depart from here. And I pray until you uh, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. So check this out. He has a bit of an identity crisis. And, and the Lord says, listen, I'm going to be with you. Look at the neighbor and say, God's going to be with you. And you need to know that if God is with you, I don't care who, when, what, or where, or how, or whatever is against you. If God be for you, nobody's against you. But then after that, he, he, he has a bit of a situation. So he's talking with the angel and he says to the angel, hey, listen, I need to know that it's you. God, I need to know that it's you. So he tells, he, he tells the angel, he says, don't go nowhere. I'm going to be right back. Now, you, you got it? Okay, now look at the end of verse 18. And the angel says, I'm going to wait until you come back. Amen. Verse 19. So Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from an ephah flour. The meat he put in the basket. He put the broth in a pot. And he brought them out under the terebinth tree and presented them. The angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the bread. And fire rose out of the rock and consumed the meat and the bread. And the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. Now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. It took all of that for him to figure out, oh, you are for real. Now, they didn't adjust nothing he told them. He just said, I was just trying to figure out if you were real. Truth be told, some of the stuff that you've gone through, some of you still had a little doubt about whether or not the God you said that you served and the God you said you believed in, you had some doubts whether or not he was for real. Okay, all right, okay. Everybody's been in a Gideon spot at some point or another in their life. God, I just need to know you for real. Cause... So Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the names of the Lord face to face. Then the Lord said to him, Peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Now Gideon didn't say anything about death. Evidently he was thinking something about death because the angel said something about death. Verse 24, so Gideon built an altar there to the Lord, and it is called the Lord is peace, Jehovah Shalom. To this day, it is still an offer of the Abezerites. Father, we bless you and honor you this day.
And we pray that over these next few moments, as I share your word, Father, that you would raise up the Gideon that is on the inside of us, Father. We realize it's not by might nor by power, but by your spirit, says the Lord. And I pray, God, that the sanctified thug on the inside of everybody would begin to rise up, Father. We're not dealing with average people because we serve an above average God. I'm not talking to failures and mistakes. I'm talking to overcomers and I'm talking to people that God has called to change the world. And we thank you for it now in Jesus' name. Somebody shout hallelujah. hallelujah. As you take your seats, just high five somebody. Tell them week two, week two, week two. That's where we're at, week two. That's where we're at, week two. Uh, if we recap from last week, we began talking about core values. Say core values. And we discovered that core values equal identity. Uh, many of the struggles that we face aren't behavioral issues. They are identity issues because when you know who you are, it changes what you do. And I gave you two examples. I gave you the dog and the cat and the cow and the chicken. I said that the cow does not cluck because it knows it's a cow and cows do what? They move. And then we talked about the dog and the cat. The, the cat does not bark and, 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 and the dog does not meow because the dog knows it's a dog and it knows dogs don't do this. So then uh, what happens is if we understand who we are, it automatically changes what we do, which means rather than constantly trying to deal with fruit in our lives, if we get root right, the fruit will naturally line up. You didn't hear what I just said. So many times you're trying to fix the outcome of a thing rather than fixing the reason that a thing is. And so if you do not deal with the root or the reason that a thing is, you can mess with the outcome all day, but it's still going to come again. I don't care how many apples you cut off the apple tree because it's still an apple tree, it's still going to produce apples. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? And I told you that each week in this series, I was going to give you one thing that you're not. Because for you to truly understand who you are, you have to first understand who you are not. Because so many of us have garnered our identity from circumstances and situations that we found ourselves in. And so consequently, through the process of osmosis, where you place someone in an environment and they become like the environment that they're in, so many times we have bad ideologies and principles and concepts about who it is that God has made us. So because you find yourself in a tough situation you always look at yourself like Seeley thinking all your life you had to fight and that's who you are are you here uh, uh, there, 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 is, there, is, there is a phenomenon called feral children and feral children are people uh, that were raised uh, by wolves and dogs and even though they were human beings because they were raised with wolves and dogs uh, they act like the wolves and dogs that they were raised with so if you go to speak to them they won't speak they'll bark and now, even though that's not who they are, because those are the circumstances that they were brought about in, they have adapted that as their identity. And so that's why we've got so many believers that are running from things that they're supposed to be confronting, but because they do not have an understanding of who they are. So even though you may have had to go through some stuff, you are not the stuff that you had to go through. You got to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Even though they went through the fire, the Bible says that they didn't come out smelling like what they had been through. See, the reason that you ought to be shouting about that is because your neighbor, while they're looking real good to you today, you didn't know all the fire and all of the hell that they had to walk through to get to this place today. And you can't even smell like what they've been through. So now watch this. Watch this. I'm telling you, every week in this season, it's a short series. This is three weeks. Next week, we're out of there. One week. Uh, 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 one thing every week that you're not. Last week, we said you're not alone. Yeah. 
And we looked at the story in Genesis chapter 11 about the Tower of Babel, how the, uh, as they were building it, the, the word says that they were like one person. They had one mind, one culture, one identity. And the scripture says uh, that, that nothing was impossible for them. You are not the only one that has had to go through tough situations. You're not the only one that's had to feel inadequate. You're not the only one that's made mistakes. You're not the only one uh, that's feel like leaving your spouse. You're not the only one that left your spouse. You're not the only one that had to have some financial troubles. You're not the only only one you are not alone look at somebody say you're not alone it's important to know that you're not alone because when you know you're not alone it will help you have an appreciation for your brothers and sisters in christ because you'll realize that while they're smiling that they probably didn't been through something that you currently are going through and so now you can look to them and say listen i need you to help me pray with me help me to get through this thing because i know i'm not alone so i know you've either been there or either you know somebody that's been there so walk with me through this but then today, today the thing I want to give you that, that you are not, is you are not running from any enemy. And in fact, you are your enemy's worst enemy. I'm going to say it to you again. You are your enemy's worst enemy. Uh, uh, Gideon, Gideon tried to allow his circumstances to define him. Uh, matter of fact, he says, I am the weakest in my tribe. I am the weakest in my family. Gideon was the guy that was voted least likely to succeed by not only his schoolmates, but all of his family. A anybody ever been voted least likely to succeed by, by family folk and Gideon was the least of everybody he was around. And so he began to try to define himself by his circumstances rather than who God said he was. And it is easy to define yourself by your circumstances rather than who God says you are. Because who God says you are, you are becoming, yet you cannot yet see. But everything that you see, it is easy to say because that's all you've experienced. I'm going to give it to you again because your neighbor missed it because I said it so fast. So I'm going to give it to you again because mental manipulation ain't the occupation for the preacher you're facing. Now watch this. Coming out with my CD next week, little bishop. In the <laughs> watch this now. It's easy to see and identify myself by what I experience rather than what God says. Because what I experience, I'm always confronted with. It's easy to look at yourself, oh, I'm just a single parent. Oh, woe is me. It's easy to do that because that's all you see. But God says, I've called you for such a time as this. I, I, you were born for such a time as this. And even though you may have to go through some stuff, don't let that stuff define you. But it's easy to do that. It's easy. It's easy to do that. And so we find Gideon trying to do that. He says, I'm the weakest in my tribe and I'm the weakest in my family. But God called him a mighty man of valor. I'm here to tell you, it's not what you're called, but it's what you answer to. See, there may be a lot of things that you've done, and we've all made mistakes. We've all done things that we don't want to read about in the newspaper. I can't get nobody to say nothing. We've all done things that we don't want anybody to tweet about or Facebook about or to email about. But I'm here to tell you, you may have done everything that they said that you did, but you are not who they say you are. Because even in your weakest and your worst moment, God still looks at you and says, you're a mighty man of valor. I know you made some mistakes, but pick yourself up and get up from that low place Gideon tried to define himself by his circumstances and in Gideon's identity crisis he requests a sign from God three times and God obliges him we read about one but if you keep reading in the chapter 
you'll find that there are two additional times where Gideon says, Lord, give me a sign that this is you. What that suggests and what this text suggests is that there's nothing wrong with asking God to confirm something you're not sure about. Just make sure you're listening when he tells you. Because what I've found about many people is they'll ask for confirmation and then they'll have a Gideon moment. They'll ask for confirmation, then confirmation to confirm the confirmation, then another confirmation to confirm the confirmation about the original confirmation. And so if you read Gideon, so he has this thing where he says, wait here for me, where he prepares the offering, right? Then, then later on in the chapter, <coughs> Gideon says, God, I want you to do this. And then he says, okay, Lord, please don't be mad at me. That's how he starts out the conversation. You know you're getting ready to tell God something that God really don't want to hear when you got to start it out. Lord, please don't be mad. Lord, please don't be mad at me. Please undo what you just did. And all three times, God obliged him. Here's my question. How much time did Gideon waste trying to get confirmation when the answer wasn't going to change from the first confirmation? See, you're not hearing what I'm saying. Some of you have been praying about the same thing over and over and over and over again, hoping God would change his mind. Okay, y'all are going to be real with me. He's not changing his mind from the first thing that he said. But let's get the point, though. There's nothing wrong with asking God for confirmation. If you're unsure, there's nothing wrong with saying, God, I am unsure. Please do something. Lord, if this door is the door I'm supposed to walk through, let it open and let it open big. But if this is the wrong door for me to walk through, please shut this door. Matter of fact, shut this door so hard that I feel the breeze that comes when you shut a door real quick. And I don't even walk up to the door because I don't want to be near the door. That's the door you don't want me to walk through. Single phone, you got to say, Lord, I need some confirmation. Because if I'm not sure, that's how you know anyway. But, uh, Lord, if I'm not sure, Lord, please, please, Lord, if they're for me, let it happen. But, Lord, if they're not for me, Mo, Jesus, please tell me. That way I don't waste years of my life figuring out what I could have asked you and got one clear answer to. Say confirmation. So God confirms for Gideon. Three times. He only, he only does that because Gideon, in those moments, he's having an identity crisis. And we all have them at some time or another. Gideon's saying, I'm not strong enough to do this. I'm not big enough to do this. But remember, God called him a what? Mighty man of valor. Now, Gideon's name is interesting. I've always talked to the importance of names in Scripture because in Scripture we see parallelism. We see... Now, while there is something literal happening, that there is also something spiritual happening. And the spiritual has far greater consequences and a far greater reach than the literal thing that is happening. And so you see God parting the Red Sea literally. But what you didn't understand is that spiritually God was stretching out his hand. And he was saying, listen, if you will walk in alignment with me every time you face a situation that looks bigger than you, I'll make sure that that situation can't defeat you. While you see that God dries up the, uh, the land so they can walk walk across that's a natural reasoning right because who wants to walk through mud i'm sure the mud was extremely deep uh, because there was a sea covering it but what you don't understand spiritually is god did not want them getting any tracks on their feet you, you missed what i just said uh, uh the natural was that god dried up the land so that they could walk across but the spiritual was god said i don't want you seeing any foot tracks from your past in your future and so y'all not hearing what i'm saying and so what i'm doing in the natural there is a far greater spiritual reason for it had they tracked mud they would have had mud tracks in their future and god says i don't want you looking back for no reason and for no thing so not only do i not want you to see mud tracks i don't even want you to be able to cross the ocean across the sea so what i did is i closed it after you crossed it do 
you get my point? Now, now, so watch this. So there's parallelism. So while there's something natural, there's something spiritual. So Gideon's name uh, is Gideon, naturally. But spiritually, here's what the name means, and here's what his name translates to. It means destroyer or mighty warrior. Now, Gideon felt like he was being destroyed, but yet God called him the destroyer. I'm here to tell you many times God will speak to you in oxymoronic fashion. Where he will say one thing on one end and another thing on the other end. And you're trying to reconcile the two to figure out how they work. Baby, that's where faith steps in. Because if you're trying to do it with your own human rationale, you'll always miss God. Because God will always have you in a situation where it looks like you're being destroyed and then call you the destroyer. But now watch this, watch this, watch this. His name is Destroyer, Mighty Warrior. He's facing some mighty war. But God says, you're the mighty warrior. But now then later on in the text, later on in the text, uh, there is an instruction that God gives to uh, Gideon. He says, Gideon, I want you to go and I want you to tear down the tower of Baal. Now, Baal was just a false god that the children of Israel, they concocted. Uh, They created a god that was in their image and in their likeness uh, so that they could justify their disobedience to a god uh, that they did not want to follow. And we've all, at some point or another, created our own Baal, a god in our image and in our likeness that understands our disobedience. Okay, I'm going to say that again because I didn't get nothing but four or five amens right there. So I'm going to get the amen ratio up to about half the group in this, in, at least in this auditorium at this campus. So we've all tried to create a version of God that fits into our image and fits into our likeness and that understands our disobedience to his word. Because a God that you get to create in your image is a God you get to control. So the children of Israel created a God that they were able to control, and that God's name was Baal. He was a false God. He was not a true. And God says to him, I want you to go, and I want you to destroy the altars of Baal that exist, and I want you to take them down. And as he takes those altars down, the Lord gives him a surname. The Lord adds something to his name, and it is the term Jerubbabel. Say that with me. Jerubbabel. Now watch this. That means let Baal plead. Need, need you to get this. So now Gideon's name becomes destroyer and mighty warrior that makes Baal plead. Okay, okay, okay. Bishop, what, what, what are you trying to say? What, what is Baal pleading for? What God was trying to get Gideon to see is that he wasn't supposed to be running from any enemy because Gideon was his enemy's worst enemy. Okay, you're missing what I'm saying. And so what happens is, God says, what I'm doing, Gideon, is I'm making Baal plead with me that you leave him alone. See, I wish there were some sanctified thugs in the house that said, I'm not running from any enemy. I'm not running from sickness. I'm not running from poverty. I'm not running from lack. I am my enemy's worst enemy. And my enemy pleads that God lets them get away from me. That's why I don't have to know the names of demons. Demons know my name. And they know when they see me coming, they know they better back up because they know that they plead with God. Why are the warriors in the house that say, I'm not running from no enemies no more because I've been taught who I am. I am my enemy's worst enemy. And when they see you coming, they start pleading, God, please let them leave us alone. God, because we tried to get her depressed, but she just keeps praying and she just keeps fasting. God, please leave us alone. 
you know you're doing something when your enemies say to God, God, please, please keep them away from us. Because every time we tried to get them distracted and every time we tried to get them off track, all they did was kept praying. All they did was kept worshiping. Uh, God, please let them get away from us. Every time we tried to stress them out about their finances, they just started giving more. God, please, they're pleading with God. Please let them leave us alone. Which means, watch this, not, 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 not just Satan, but every enemy. Say this, I am Satan's enemy, his worst enemy. I don't fear him, he fears me. Notice in scripture, when we talk about the armor of God, we're given the helmet of salvation. You need that so you can remind yourself you're a Christian sometimes, because sometimes you're going to be in situations where if you don't remind yourself you're a Christian, you got to do like Canton Jones. Sometimes you got to stay saved. But then we're given the breastplate of righteousness, his righteousness that covers us, which means there's nothing that should have the ability to pierce us as it relates to uh, as it relates to accusations, sin, so on and so forth, because he's given us his righteousness, which means nothing can pierce me. Uh, but then he's sawed our feet with the preparation of the gospel. He's given us the belt of truth. And then we have the shield of faith. Got it. So we got all of these great things that are the armor of God. But I noticed something. There's no armor for the back. This is what you're trying to say. There's no armor for the back because I'm never supposed to be caught running from anything. There's no armor because every enemy that shows up, rather than turning my back to it and acting like it's not there, I turn around and like David, I say, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that dared defy the armies of the living God? Shall I am my enemy's worst enemy? Say it. That, that, that's, that, 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 that's, 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 that's who you are. Now, that's one thing that you're not. You're not running from any enemy. You are your enemy's worst enemy. God never created you to run from anything. He created you to run to, confront, and conquer. Touch your neighbor and say, you're a conqueror. That's what you are. Now, conqueror intimates that there's going to be a fight. Here's the problem. The fight is fixed. It's like WWF. God already went in and said before the match even began, this fight's going to be for your victory. And even in the middle of the fight, when it looks like you're not going to win the fight, relax. Because since this fight is fixed, it doesn't matter what it looks like in the middle of the fight. You're guaranteed a victory. Where are the Gideons at at this campus? Because if there's no Gideons at this campus, I need to leave and go preach to somebody else. Where are the people that say, no more running, no more running, no more turning around? Is that your best shot? Where are the Tina Turners in the limo that look at Ike? That's the best you got? Sometimes you got to look at the enemy. That's the best you got? Man, I, 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 you, sometimes you just got to remind him of what you've been through. You got to say, listen, I've been broke before. I've been messed up before. I have this, but that's the best shot you got. Not running from any enemy. That's not the position God created us to be. Yet so many believers are running because they don't understand that their name is Jerubbabel. Their name is my enemies are pleading. 
Every time they say, oh, here come that bishop for him. And oh, God, we better get away from him. Because we know he's going to tear something up. He's going to mess something up. We know he's going So one thing that you're not. Last week we said you're not alone. This week you're not running from any enemy because you are your enemy's worst enemy. So now let's get into what you are. These core values, and I'm going to say this every week so get used to it, are not just some arbitrary list of rules or religious rhetoric. What is rhetoric? Rhetoric stuff folks say but never back up. Values determine culture and these guide us and are non-negotiable as we aggressively pursue our mission to lead people to totally love God Now watch this. These core values are the core values of Harvest. It's the core values of who we are. But since the church is not the building, the church is the people. These are the core values of who you are. This is who we be. This is who we is. This is who we are. Say core values. It's identity. Non-negotiable things I'm not willing to negotiate with nobody for. Not interested in a compromise here. Non-negotiable. Say non-negotiable. So I gave you three last week, so here's the fourth. You ready? We aren't taking sides. We are taking over. Matthew 11, 12 says, And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violent, and the violent take it by force. Take what by force? The kingdom of heaven. What is the kingdom of heaven? It is a lifestyle, not a place. It is a place where heaven's attributes invade my everyday living. That is what the kingdom lifestyle is all about. It is where I'm not trying to die to get over there because I read the book that I'm supposed to live over here and bring over there down here. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Now, 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 now watch this. He says the kingdom suffers violent, but violent men and women take it by what? Force, which means you got to be like the children of Israel. God gave them instructions and numbers. He said, I have given you the land. Go and take it. It's yours. See, everything you think that you need. Uh, can, I, can I give you something? This is totally free. This into my notes. They didn't get this in the other experience. This is totally free just for you. Don't tell nobody I gave it to you. Sometimes God guides based on what he didn't provide. You've heard things like if it's God's vision, then it's, it's his provision. Now, that's nice. That's nice. But the reality is, is that many times God guides, but what he doesn't provide. So what are you trying to say? In the children of Israel and numbers, God says, go take the land. Go take it. It's yours. It's yours. Do what you want. Take it. But now there's some enemies in there you're going to have to dispossess. There's some land you're going to have to repossess so that you can possess what I promise. Got it? But, 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 but what does that mean? The fact that God left the enemies in there were evidence that they already had what they needed to conquer them. But so what are you trying to say? Everything you're trying to pray yourself out of, maybe the reason you haven't come out of it is because you already have what you need to get through it. And while you're saying, if I had this, if I had this, and God is saying, you got everything you need right now. I guided by what I didn't provide. I didn't provide you a way out, which means I want you to go through. Back to our regularly scheduled sermon. The kingdom suffers violent, but violent men do what? Take it by force. You, 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 when we talk about taking over... And we talk about we're not taking signs. What we're saying is, God, we are going to take by force what you've promised. Now, Bishop, what does that mean? In order to rescue our region with the gospel of Jesus Christ, we can't think small, nor try to make sanctimonious religious people feel comfortable. 
We will set big goals, take bold steps of faith, and we will watch God do what he does, and that's move. I need to say that to you again. We cannot, nor will we think small, nor will we try to make sanctimonious, religious, my four, and no more people feel comfortable. I'm going to say it again because you ain't hearing me. We will set big goals, take bold steps of faith, and watch God move. If you want to live the takeover life, you're going to have to learn that you're going to have to have bags. Big, hairy, audacious goals. B-H-A-G. B-H-A-G. Why? Because the kingdom suffers violence. And the violent take it by force. I've taught you before that violence there means focused and unwavering. Which means you're going to have, and as a church and as individuals, we have to be focused and unwavering. We set our eyes on something and we will not be denied. Are you hearing what I'm saying? But now then, 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 then let me give you the fifth. Because we're talking about core values. We have ten. We're going to finish them up in the third installation, third week of this series. We are a kingdom church. Now, Bishop, what do you mean by that? We believe God didn't create us to be average. Now, now I know that many believers have an inferiority complex because somehow they think, oh, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I'm not. I'm the righteousness of God. Now, you can be a sinner all you want. I, you know, good luck with that. I'm the righteousness of God. Look at your name and say, I'm the righteousness of God. I choose to believe the word rather than some false humility that some man made up so he can feel justified about his mediocrity. And let me tell you something. If you're in harvest, I know God's created you to be above average because I know who he made me to be. He made me to be. Oh, Bishop, you're thinking too much. No. The scripture says don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. It didn't say don't think highly of yourself. When you know who you are, you're going to scare some people away that don't. But I know you at harvest because evidently you know who you are. And God wouldn't have sent you to me unless we had something in common. God did not call us to be average, but to be kings and priests, Revelation 1, 6, furthering his influence in the seven areas of society, of business. You know, come on, family, arts and entertainment, spirituality, media, education, and government. Revelation 11 and 15 is powerful. It says, then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven, which means while, while, while the church, and I'm talking about the church globally, has been distracted by stupid stuff that really doesn't matter. In heaven, heaven has been yelling the whole time, trying to get the body of Christ's attention to realize that what they're waiting for, he's done. It would be foolish for you to sit on the bus stop waiting for a bus that's never coming. It'd be foolish of you to sit at your house talking about you waiting on the cab, yet the cab has already been dispatched, came and left because you weren't outside on the, okay, you're not, you're not again. So we got a lot of Christians that are waiting on God to do something, and God says, I've already done it. Revelation eleven fifteen, heaven is loud, and it's saying the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. He's not going to start reigning at some point in the future. He started reigning once he came off of Calvary and started living on the inside of you and me. 
That's why Jesus says, greater works than these shall you do. Why? There's nothing greater than raising somebody from the dead. But because now there's more Jesus in the earth. Bishop, what do you mean? Because he said, I'll live inside of you and you and you and you. Which means there's more of me in the earth. Which means greater works than I did one person shall you do multiple persons. He's made these things his. All we have to do as the body of Christ is go and possess them. Media already belongs to God. So, oh, Bishop, I just don't know. It's just so these last and evil days. Stop all of that foolishness. These days are great and wonderful days. Bishop, why? Because I'm here. That's why I look at your neighbor and say, these days are great because I'm here. These are... If you were born in such a time as this, I'm here to tell you God had you born at the right time, at the right moment, in the right city, at the right place. Not running from something. These are great days. Oh, Bishop, the economy. I don't function by the world's economy. I function by the kingdom. And since I'm a giver, I'm not worried about nothing. Ooh, Bishop, the value of the dollar. And I've misused what? Oh, Bishop, the debt ceiling. That ain't my debt. I don't know, man, nothing but to love him. Bishop, what are you trying to get us to see? I'm trying to get the body of Christ to see the kingdom you're waiting on is already here. And it's here through you. Luke 17, 21. Luke 17, we're doing what? Just write it down. I have time to flip there. I got two minutes and 43 seconds. Luke 17, 21 says, the kingdom is not here or there by observance, but it's on the inside of you. Jesus said, Jesus said, I've placed the kingdom on the inside of you, which means everywhere you go is the kingdom. Check it out. So if you work in business, guess what? You being in business means God has taken business because you're there. Okay, y'all not hearing what I'm saying. You, you having a family means God has taken family because you're there. And the kingdoms of this world, those seven, have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. That's us. And he shall reign when? Forever and ever. So he's not getting ready to reign like he's some weak jelly back God. He's been reigning the whole time. I'm here to tell you, everybody that's waiting on your God to do something, you better get up and stop holding your breath. God has done something. If you work in media, then he's already taken media because you're there. Are you getting it? Spirituality, that's the church. He's taking the church because we're here. He's made us to be kings and priests. Got it? And that's a non-negotiable for us. We won't put up. We won't shut up. We won't back down. We won't sit down. We won't take a back seat. We're running this. Bishop, how do you know? How do you know? Let me tell you, let me tell you Harvest. Let me give you one thing. I got to move. How, how do you know? Because the government, when the government needs assistance in our city, you know who they call? Us. That's a fact, Jack. Take it to the bank. When our city and county, Rappahoe County and the city of Aurora, when, when they run out of resources for people and cannot help them, you know what they do? They pick up the phone and they call Harvest and they tell people, police officers are telling people, they don't even go to Harvest. They don't even know what a Harvest is. They don't even know what a Bishop Farm it is. But they're telling people, you need to get to this place. Why? Because since we're here, we might as well take it over. 
Bishop, that's just being arrogant. You better read your Bible. That's being confident in what the word of God says. Last value. Last value for the day, which is number six. How many do we have total? Ten. Y'all good class. Number six. We honor God, our leader, and one another. We honor God, our leader, and one another. We believe that the Bible teaches us to give honor to God, to our leader, and to our father, uh, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Romans thirteen seven says, Render therefore to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Now, the scripture says God has crowned every individual with honor. Say, I have honor. Now, it doesn't matter, matter if you've been living dishonorably or half honorably or whatever. God has crowned you with honor. But check this out, which means you are due honor. Watch this. And then everyone around you is due honor. Now, I know we live in a very dishonorable society. We live in a society that says, say whatever you want to say about anybody because you got First Amendment. And we appreciate that. and We thank God for that. What I'm saying is, is though we have a, 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 uh, a war going on as it relates to honor because nobody wants to honor anything. And so consequently, we perpetuate a cycle of craziness because nobody shows honor. So nobody reproduces honor. So nobody gives honor. So then it repeats itself. And we see it evident in families. There was a day where, where children called their parents, yes, ma'am, and yes, sir. And we live in a day now where they call you by your first name. It got real quiet right there. Ooh, ooh. I guess I hit something in this region right there. The scripture teaches us to honor. Everybody's been crowned with honor. You are crowned with honor. Now check this out. Here's the flow. Here's the flow. We honor God. How do we honor God? By putting him first. Amen. Whatever he wants goes. We don't negotiate with him. We don't barter with him. We don't fight with him. We don't argue with him. If he says put the chair over there, we put the chair over there and we shut up about it. Amen. So we honor God. But then we honor our leader. I know there's lots of people that go to churches and they don't like their pastor. They just go so that they can put in their brownie points and get credit for the week for going to church and all that. That's not how we do it at Harvest. At Harvest, we have a group of people that love their pastor and honor their pastor. That's how we do it here. And it's not about making an idol out of a man. It's not about making, no. What it is is about God says you give honor to whom honor is due. I honor the Lord. You honor me as your shepherd. Amen. But now watch this. Then we honor one another. We honor our brother, brothers and sisters in Christ. See, when you honor somebody, you won't talk about them. When you honor somebody, you won't say bad things about them. When you honor somebody, if there's a dispute, you'll say to them, let's get together and we're going to go here in this back room and me or you are going to fix this because we're not going out here to sow dishonor amongst the people. So let's get this straight. And you better act like we got it together. You better fake it like you we on the same page. Because when we get out here, we're not going to sow dishonor amongst the brethren. We're an honorable people. Now check this out. Check this out. Check this out. When you sow honor, you reap honor. And I use this analogy, and I'm going to use it again because I believe it's so fitting and so apropos. Uh, many times, uh, parents will look and say, oh, Bishop, just children, just dishonor, dishonor, it's dishonor. They may do what you say, but they don't honor you in doing what you said. Get the tape. Because honor is a posture of the heart. Now, check this out. Parents, many times, sometimes will have issues with their children about honor. And you should honor your mother and father. Every parent knows that scripture good. Don't know no other ones, but know that one good. Honor your mother and father that your days may be long in earth. You're going to live half your days. But honor me, you're going to live half your day. Come on, parents, do not look at me. Especially for those of you that came from east of the Mississippi. You know well and good about living half your days. Everybody told you you're going to live half your days. 
And I said, how did I get half from reduced? <laughs> that today is maybe full. He didn't say half. Check this out, though. Check this out, though, parents. Check this out. The reason maybe that you're experiencing dishonor from your children is because they see you dishonor other adults. And so they listen to you on the phone talking dishonorably to other adults and they listen to you lying to other adults and they listen to you do this and they see you doing all of this. And so now when you demand honor, they look at you like, who are you? You're dishonorable, so why I got to honor you? Y'all not hearing what I'm saying. And so then you bring them to the church and say, church fix it, but we can't fix what you're sowing because you sow dishonor. You reap dishonor. Imagine, parents, adults, if our children saw us honoring one another. Imagine, just, 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 just indulge me for just 10 seconds. Imagine if, 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 parents, if your children saw you telling other adults and calling them ma'am and sir. Bishop, this is the 1960s. Well, I'm not so sure that that's a compliment. In some regards. I mean, obviously there's some other regards. But I mean, in, in some regards. Some regards. Just a few. Say honor. honor. Honor means, honor means this. It means I prefer you over myself. That's what it means. That's what honor means. Isn't that something? In a, in a marriage, in a marriage, and I'm through, in a marriage, if, if, there's, if there's dishonor, that's why the scripture talks about honor, uh, husband's honor. Peter talks about husband's honoring your wives as the weaker vessel. Because if I sow honor into my wife, what happens? Then I'm going to reap honor from my wife. You got it? So if I sow honor into her, then I will reap submission from her. And so, so many times couples are in all kinds of issues because they don't honor one another. They don't prefer one another. They prepare self. I'm going to do this. I want to do this. Me, I, me, me. But you didn't read the part where two became one. And anything with two heads shouldn't be listened to. It should be looked at because it's a monster. Only monsters have two heads. Somebody say honor. honor. Say it again. Say honor. honor. So that means when you want to let somebody have it, you prefer them. And you say, I'm going to sit here, and rather than going all Mortal Kombat on you, you go ahead and finish. I know I'm right. And I'm always right because I got a history of being right. But I'm going to prefer you, and I'm going to wait for you to finish. Because I honor you. And I don't have to yell and fuss and fight with you because you don't do that to people you honor. It's the kind of people God's called us to be, people of honor. He's called us to be kings and priests. And he's called us not to take sides. What's the taking sides part about, Bishop? Taking sides is anything that's against the word. We're not taking sides. We're here to take over. We, we want Jesus to be so famous because of what we do that nobody can say that they don't serve him because they don't know him. If they don't serve him, it's going to be because they choose not to, not because we didn't make him famous. Stand on your feet with me. Amen. Jesus, you're awesome, incredible, wonderful, glorious, great. Whoo, Lord, thank you for arising the Gideon on the inside of us. Arousing, rather, the Gideon on the inside of us. Bringing him to life.
God, you've called us to be mighty warriors. Not to run from any enemy, but to stand flat-footed. We're going out, we're going out with a fight. Father, we thank you for the Jerubbabel inside of us that makes every enemy plead that we'd lead them alone. Father, I thank you that you're raising up a people like that out of harvest, God. I thank you that you're raising up a people like that in this house, at every campus. With your head bowed and eyes closed. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why they love Viator. They have over 300,000 bookable experiences and something for everyone. Plus, their travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Oh, come on now. You know you deserve it. A steak patty on any McDonald's breakfast sandwich. I mean any breakfast sandwich. Biscuit, McMuffin, Bagel, McGriddles, a juicy steak patty on any breakfast sandwich. And when you order through the app, buy one and get one free. Now go get them. Valid for product of equal or lesser value. Limited time only at participating McDonald's. Valid one time per day. Excludes one, two, three dollar menu.